Well, good morning, church. Glad you are here this morning, and uh, we're continuing through the Gospel of John, and as we at kind of a unique spot in the Gospel of John, really when we got into chapter 9, there began to be a little bit of a pivot in the Gospel of John, and what we started seeing was this idea of people really began to struggle to believe who Jesus said he was. And they struggle, and you know, we, we've seen him do a lot of stuff, haven't we? We've seen a lot of miracles, a lot of things that Jesus taught. But when we enter into chapter 9, we really see that humanity is really wrestling with. Those that Jesus came across are really wrestling with, can I really believe he is who he claims to be? Now, if you remember chapter 9, we saw this story beautiful where this guy was born blind and Jesus comes by and he heals this guy. Remember, he spit on some dirt, made some mud, put on the guy's eyes, said, go to the pool of Shalom and wash and you'll be healed. And guess what happened? Come on, guess what happened? He went to the pool and what happened? He was healed, right? And so he comes back and all these people have all these questions like, how did it happen? What was going on? And all the guy kept coming back to was this. I was once blind, but now I see, right? And yet the people knew that he was blind. Now, now they know he can see, but they still didn't believe. They didn't believe because what happened was unexplainable. It didn't matter that the undeniable truth was he could see. It was because they couldn't wrap their head around what was unexplainable. They chose to not believe. And then we saw last week that Jesus has this beautiful picture of being the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. And yet, if you remember at the end of last week, these people did not believe in Jesus because they thought he was insane. And we talked about laying his life down, but then again, taking it back up, talking about his own resurrection. And they're like, we can't believe you because what you're saying has never been done. And what you're saying is absolutely crazy. And today we're going to see the people continue to struggle with who Jesus is. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 10. Take your Bible and turn there with me if you would. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. If you don't have one with you just today, the scripture will be on the screen. I want to read the first two verses to set context for what the story is going to happen in the story. Chapter 10, verse 22. Here's what the Word of God says. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now let me tell you what's going on here just real quick before we get into the heartbeat of the passage. Jesus, I mean, this is what's called the Feast of Dedication. You may not know what that is, but basically the Israelites would get together once a year and they would celebrate when the temple had been dedicated in the Old Testament. So they've come together every year and they celebrate the dedication of the temple. And it always happened in December. Now, why is that important? Because in chapter 7, if you remember, they were celebrating the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. We remember when they were out in the wilderness and God provided for them. They would celebrate that. But this always happened two months later. Now, Doug, why does that matter? Here's why. Because between chapter 10, verse 21, and chapter 10, verse 22, two months have passed. I just want you to know there's a gap that has happened here. And so we see this feast of dedication, and Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's come into the city to do what he should do, to celebrate the dedication of the temple. And while he's there, what happens? A crowd begins to gather. 
And the crowd wraps around Jesus and they begin to say something like this. Well, Jesus, if you really are the Christ, if you really are the Messiah, would you tell us plainly, stop leaving us in suspense, right? That's what they want to know. Now, just pause for a moment. Hasn't he already done that? Come on, hasn't he done that? Like, do you remember when he says, wait, a couple chapters ago, I am the light of the world? And then he says, I am the door. And two months earlier, he just said, I am the good shepherd. I think Jesus painted a really good picture, but obviously they didn't get his figure of speech. So look what Jesus says to them in verse 25. Look what he says. I love this. He says, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He's like, listen, you want me to tell you plainly and clarify who I am I've already done that. I've already told you. Remember the door? Yeah, that was me. Remember the good shepherd? Yeah, that was me too. Remember the light of the world? Yeah, that was me. And you should be able to look to the things that I've done and know that the Father's in me. You can look to the miracles that I've done and the things that I've taught and the very essence of who I am and what I've done should reveal to you that I am from the Father, that I am God. You think they were convinced? No. And so Jesus kind of raises it up a little bit here, raised the bar, and he says, if you want clarity, I'm going to give you an incredible amount of clarity. And there's three claims Jesus makes in the next few verses that I want us to highlight. Starting verse 26, it says this, but you do not believe because you are not what? Among my sheep. Ouch. My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. For my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, I love these few verses because Jesus is like, if you want clarity— here it comes. You better put your big boy britches on because what I'm about to say is going to be highly offensive to you. But if you want clarity about who I am, here it is. And the first thing he says this. He says, you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. So he looks to all these Jews who've gathered around him, all these Jews that have circled around him, that have said, hey, would you stop leaving us in suspense? Would you clearly and plainly tell us who you are? He says, yes, first and foremost, I need you to know something about you. And here it is. You're not one of my sheep, and that's why you don't believe. See, my sheep, listen, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, which means they know me. And they follow me. And the reason you don't believe, you're not one of my sheep. Now, if you're a Jew of the day that have been following around Jesus, and particularly the religious leaders that were probably there, are you offended by what he just said? He basically just looks at them now and said, you're lost, in case you didn't know. You think they were offended by that? Would you be offended? If I walked right down to the face and say, the reason you don't love, uh, the reason you don't worship, the reason you don't do whatever is because you're going to go to hell in a handbasket because you're lost. Would you be offended if I did that? You would. Now, some of us might need it, but you would be offended if I did that, right? And so Jesus says, listen, the reason you don't believe is because you don't belong to me. Why? Because they felt like 
They felt like that religion got you into heaven, right? We know that. We've talked about that. The religion gets you in. But did you notice the words that Jesus used? He said, they hear my voice. I know them, which means they know me, and they follow me. Do you know what kind of words those are? Those are relationship words. That's what they are. Those are relational words. To hear his voice. Now, I don't know about you, but I can be in a crowded room, and I can tune out everybody's voice except the one that I'm trying to hear. Anybody else like that? I mean, we can go eat somewhere, and I can tune everybody out and hear Sonia's voice. And that is a relational thing because I don't want to hear everybody else's voice, but I can hear yours. And I can pay attention to yours, especially if you're on my left side, because I can hear it on my right side. So I can hear yours, right? But then he says, I know them. That's one of the most beautiful words in the Greek and the Hebrew is the word know. Because it doesn't mean a familiarity. It means an intimacy. What he's saying is, I deeply know them, and likewise, they deeply know me. And what's the result of that? They follow. Remember last week, we found out the good, that the sheep know which voice to listen to, and they know which voice to follow, and which one to run from? That's what Jesus says. My sheep hear me, I know them, they know me, and they follow. And the reason you don't believe, the reason you don't follow is because you don't know me and you've never trusted me. Because they put their faith in religion. And Jesus basically saying, you've missed it. It's all about what? Relationship. So the first claim Jesus makes is, you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. And then he goes on and look what he says next. He says, my sheep's eternal life is secure in my hand. Verse 28 again. He says this, I give them, in other words, I give eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Listen, if you're one of those people here this morning, and you wrestle with your eternal security, that if you put your faith in Jesus, that your salvation is secure, and you can't lose it, you need to underline, circle, and highlight John 10, 28. Because in this passage, here's what Jesus says. First of all, he kind of calls them out going, look, the reason you don't believe is because you don't belong to me. You're not one of my sheep. But then he goes on, he says, my sheep's eternal life is secure in my hands. In other words, one of the benefits of being the sheep or a child of God is that we've received eternal life. Are you thankful that you received eternal life? Say amen. I hope you are. But the best news is, Jesus says, when I give them eternal life, a couple of things. You might want to highlight this. First of all, they'll never perish. When I've given them eternal life, they'll never perish. What does that word perish mean? It means to be abandoned, to be forsaken, or to be separated. That when I give someone eternal life, they will never be abandoned by me, they will never be forsaken by me, and they will never be separated from me. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? But he didn't stop there. He says, not only will they never perish, then he says, and they will never be snatched away. I love that because he says this. He says, uh, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I've said this before, but that word no one means no one, no body, and no thing. So once, you're, once you put your faith in Jesus, he gives us eternal life. And our salvation is secure in the palm of his hands. And he says, no one, everybody say no one. No one. A little more convincing. No one, no one can snatch them out. 
Is that good news this morning? That if you truly know Jesus as your Savior, your salvation is secure. And he's letting these Jewish people know that those who call themselves my sheep, listen, those who are my sheep are safe and secure in the good shepherd's hands and in the good father's hands. They're safe and they're secure. But then he adds one more thing that really gets them. Look at verse 30 again. I and the father are what? One. One. I and the father are one. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm not just the Messiah. I'm God. I'm not just the one to to come to rescue people physically. I am God. The Father and I are one in nature, and we are one in will. I am God. So if you wanted me to tell you clearly some things, here's what I want you to know. First of all, you, you, you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. Just need to know that. Second of all, those who are my sheep, I give them eternal life, and they're never going to lose it. They're never going to be separated from me. They are safe and secure in the palm of my hand and my Father's hand. And oh, by the way, I and the Father are one. I'm God. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Come on, is that pretty clear? I mean, if you're the Jews that day, you have a clear understanding of where you fit. You have a clear understanding of those who trusted and followed Jesus where they fit. And you have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. Now, at that point, if you didn't read the story any further, you might go, okay, total clarity. I get it. Let's move forward. But look what happens. Let's look, second of all, at the Jews' reaction to Jesus. Look at me in verse 31. The Jews' reaction. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them you are getting ready to stone me. And the Jews answered him, listen to this, it's not for the good works that you are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being, uh, because you being man, make yourself God. Jesus lays out this beautiful picture of clarity on everybody, where everybody fits, and how did they respond They picked up stones ready to stone him, ready to execute Jesus. Why? Because of blasphemy. Blasphemy meaning that he claimed to be one and equal with God. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. Is that pretty, is that a high offense in that day and time? I mean, if I got up on the stage and I claimed to be God and claimed to be one with God, you would never come here again because that would be, in your mind, an extremely high offense, would it not? You should never come here again if I claimed that. But they were ready to stone him because of blasphemy, because you say you are one with God and you are equal with God. Here's the irony. They wanted clarity. He gives it, and they're ready to kill him. Now, do you think they're struggling With what to believe right now? Sure they are. But Jesus doesn't just stop and walk away at that moment. Jesus does something fascinating. Look with me as we continue on. Look at the challenge that Jesus gives. Jesus' challenge is found in verse 34 through 38. It says this, Then Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, talking about the Old Testament, that I said you were God's, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him the father consecrated and sent into the world? 
you are blaspheming because I said I'm a son of God. If I'm not doing the works of the Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now, that's a lot of confusing words that Jesus used, isn't it? Now, let me tell you what it means. Jesus quoting Psalms chapter 82. You don't have to turn there, but you might want to write this down. Psalms 82 is what Jesus is quoting. Let me read to you Psalms 82 verse 6, and I'll explain what it means. He says, I have said, you are gods, small g, sons of the most high God, yet you will die as mere men. Now, when it says here in Psalms 82, and what Jesus is referring to is that in the Old Testament law, he calls out people as gods, as in the small g. Now, that word doesn't mean uh, a supreme being. It refers to lesser beings. So it's referring to those that were earthly magistrates, those that were earthly in roles of authority. He said, I've said you've said, and I've said that you're gods. In other words, you're a people with authority. In fact, you're sons of the Most High God. Yet you will die like a mere man. Now, the point of Psalms 82 is to remind people, no matter how much you think of yourself, ultimately death is going to come to all of us. But Jesus quotes it for a different reason. Jesus quotes Psalms 82 to go, listen, why are you upset with me? Your law, the Old Testament, our law, calls people gods, small g, magistrates. And he says that they are sons of God. And you didn't think that was blasphemous. You weren't offended by that. But here I am, and I call myself the Son of God, the very one who comes from heaven, and you're offended by that? You see what Jesus is doing here? He's like, you know, it's the old expression, what's good for the goose is good for what? Gander. The gander. He's like, in your own law, there's a statement much like this, where people are called sons of God, and you weren't offended by that. But you're offended, and you're saying that I'm blaspheming because I'm claiming to be the Son of God who has come from heaven. And then look what Jesus says next, and I love this. He says, verse 37, If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Here's the challenge of Jesus. If you don't want to believe my words, so be it. But believe my actions. Look at what I've done. Can we all be honest here? When we go through the Gospels, in particular John's Gospel, and we see all that Jesus has done, is there any conclusion you can come to than this? That no one does what Jesus did unless he was from God and he was God. Can we agree on that? So Jesus is like, even if you don't believe my words, even if you don't want to buy into what I've said, buy into what I've done, because what I've done is going to remind you that the Father is in me, and I am in him. Now pause. I'm just thinking at this moment, as before we read on, maybe there would be a moment they go, you know what? We thought he wasn't very clear. And then he got really clear. And we were ready to stone him because we thought he was blaspheming. But you know what? He's got it. He makes a good point. Psalms 82 does say that, and we're not offended by that. And we're offended that he said that, and maybe we're wrong. You think there might be some rationale where he's going, maybe we ought to believe what he's saying because of what he's done. You think there might be that. But look with me in verse 39. It says this, again, they sought to arrest him. 
but he escaped by their hands. Were they ready to receive what he had to say? Come on, church. Were they ready to receive what he had to say? No. So when I read this passage, what I'm reminded of, okay, they were confused. Did Jesus give us clarity. He did. Here's who you are. You're not my sheep, so you don't believe. My sheep, I give eternal life, and that is safe and secure in the palm of my hand. I am God. I am one with God. I explained all that to you. And yet the whole idea of blasphemy, by the way, you know, I'm not blasphemy because I really am God, but ultimately your, your, your law says this, and you're not upset with that, but you're upset with me. That doesn't make any sense to me. And Jesus just over and over and over again told them and brought a great deal of clarity of who he is. So why in the world are these people struggling to believe? I don't, know if, I don't know if you're like me sometimes, but when I read scripture and I read these stories, there's a part of me going, not that I'm better than them, but a part of me going, I still don't get it. I don't understand with all that Jesus said, with all that he's proven, why don't they believe? Well, you can say, well, Doug, it tells in the passage it was clarity. They needed more clarity. I know, but he gave it, didn't he? Well, Doug, it was, it was because of blasphemy. I know, but didn't he clear that up too? Let me tell you what I believe. Because even with clarity, even with him clearing up this blasphemy issue, and even though he straightened it all out, they still didn't believe, did they? They wanted to arrest him and put him away. Let me tell you why they really struggled to believe. Now, I want you to write this down. The reason they struggled wasn't because of the lack of clarity. It wasn't because of blasphemy. It was because their hearts were hard. That's why. The reason they didn't believe wasn't just because they didn't understand enough. It wasn't because they thought he was truly blasphemy, even though they thought that. It was because their hearts had been hardened. Now, what had hardened their hearts? Well, a lot of things could have done it. But for one thing we know is religion. This idea that you've got to perform, you've got to work in order to be right with God. That hardened their heart because here comes Jesus talking about forgiveness. Here comes Jesus talking about grace. Here comes Jesus talking about faith and belief, and that's all it takes. And they're like, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been taught all our lives you got to go to the temple, and you got to make sacrifice, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this over here if you're ever going to be accepted by God. And you're preaching a message that is opposite of everything that we've been taught. And religion hardened their hearts to the truth. And because religion hardened their hearts, guess what? Their hearts now are filled with arrogance and pride. You know what arrogance and pride says? I know it all. I got it. I don't need your help. I got it all figured out. Now, this may be a shock to some of you, but sometimes I wrestle with pride. <laughs> so, uh, my oldest son and I are a lot alike in a lot of different ways. He's way smarter than I am. But there's been several years we like to go deer hunting. And so there's always this time when we go wherever we go deer hunting, there's not enough deer stands. So we get more deer stands and then we try to put them together. And the problem is because my son and I are so alike, we should never put deer stands together because that never turns out well for either one of us. And you know the reason it doesn't turn out well? Because I think I know what I'm talking about. And I put... 30 of them together already before at some point in my life. I know how to put these things together. And he's like, but dad, if we do it this way, it'll be easier. Son, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm like 50 years old now. I've done enough of these. I know the easiest path, son. Let's just do it my way. 
And pride, when our hearts get hard, creeps into our life, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And oh, by the way, you know what pride does to those kind of relationships? It fractures them, doesn't it? And the reason these guys struggled believing Jesus, yes, they wanted clarity. Yes, they thought he was blasphemous. But ultimately, it's because religion had hardened their heart. What Jesus taught was opposite of everything they ever knew. And they thought they had it all figured out. They had God figured out. They had God's acceptance all figured out. What we've got to do to be right with him. They thought they had it all figured out. And they weren't willing to listen and receive the truth because their hearts were hard. I want you to look how the story ends because this is interesting. Jesus went away across the Jordan to a place where John the Baptist had been baptizing at first, and he remained there. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So Jesus had just left a place where people's hearts were hard, and he goes to a place where people's hearts were what? Soft. John the Baptist had gone there with no fanfare, been preaching repentance, talking about Jesus, and their conclusion was, hey, we're willing to receive the truth that you've told us, John, about Jesus. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, it says, and many believed, not all believed, but many believed in him. He found those on the other side of the Jordan willing to receive the truth and put their faith in him. So here's what I'm going to ask you this morning. Which heart do you have? Which heart are you struggling with this morning? Do you have a hard heart that's maybe been jaded by this idea of religion, this idea that you've got to perform to be right or to be, uh, to be connected to God? Have you allowed pride and arrogance to seep into your heart, or do you have a soft heart, a heart that is tender to the things of God, a heart that is willing to receive the truth of God's word and let it impact your life and to follow him in a way that you're called to follow him? Which heart of this story do you have? That's a tough question, isn't it? Because guess what kind of heart we all want to say we have? Soft. But maybe we ought to ask our spouses. Maybe we ought to ask our kids. Maybe we ought to ask our coworkers. Maybe we ought to ask our friends. I'm not asking which heart do you want. I'm asking you which heart do you have. And maybe you are here this morning and your heart is soft. And maybe for you, you don't have a relationship with Christ. And all you need to do is to hear the truth of God's love. And we sang about it a while ago. We sang that there's no mountain high enough. There's no door that he won't come through. That he's going to pursue you and come after you. And over and over and over again, demonstrate his unconditional love for you. And maybe today, your heart has been softened to that. And you need to receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And if you need to do that, we'd love to encourage you to do that. Just by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've rebelled against you. Would you forgive me my sin and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior? But there's a lot of others in the room. Some of us in the room, we know Jesus is our Savior, right? And maybe as we look at our life this morning, maybe what we found out is that our hearts have become hard. Maybe, and you think, well, why is my heart hard, Doug? Well, there's a lot of reasons it could be hard. Maybe just through the life's journeys we've been through, the stuff you've gone through, 
Maybe some of your hearts are hard to the things of God because maybe you've gone through some bad relationships. Maybe you've gone through a painful divorce. Maybe you've gone through a painful marital issue. Maybe you've gone through a breakup with a friend that you've been close to for years. Maybe your finances have taken a downward turn and you've lost a job. Or or maybe you're in a career that you feel like God has called you to, but nothing's going the way you want to go and, and you're struggling in that. There's a lot of different things, but maybe some of us here today are born again believers. We love Jesus. We follow Jesus, but we would be honest to say our hearts have become hardened hard and we're struggling you're not struggling to trust Jesus as your savior but you're struggling to really follow him and your hearts are hard and there's a lot more different reasons we could talk about maybe it's loss maybe it's tragedy whatever it is some of you today as believers your hearts are pretty tough and I want to ask you to pray a prayer a prayer that's found in Ecclesiastes, or Ezekiel rather, I'm sorry, Ezekiel, God take this heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. If you're a believer this morning and you feel like your heart has become hard to the things of God because all that's going on in your life, would you ask God to tenderize your heart this morning? Would you ask God to soften your heart to his things? That you might ask God to revive your aching, hurting struggling soul this morning so that you can live a life passionately for him. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me. If you would, everybody stand.